Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. I hope you're having a good day and I'm really thankful for you listening. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time I spoke with Alex Kingsbury, award-winning entrepreneur, currently running two of his own SaaS businesses. We spoke about management consultancy, business automation and imposter syndrome. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today is the Commercial Director of Autocon UK, a unique multinational IT consultancy and social enterprise which exclusively employs autistic adults as IT consultants. I'd like to welcome Steve of Autocon to my podcast. Hi, Steve. Hi, Lou. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Tell me about um, your introduction to Autocon and why it was a, an organisation for you to be involved with. So I, I've been in sort of tier one tech uh, in various guises for, for quite some time. Um, my, my origin story includes IBM, Samsung, and most recently Formula One uh, in terms of uh, McLaren. Um, but actually, I think, and, and this is common with with most, um, or certainly the majority of, of the operations folk here at Autocon, is that we have some personal connection. Now, whether it's with with autism, or in my case, uh, dyslexia through uh, one of my children, I think that personal connection makes makes the whole thing very real. Um, and certainly, you know, it's it's a very personal thing. And so, to be able to to change uh, perceptions and shift attitudes through the work that we're doing is is just so amazingly humbling but rewarding, frankly. So tell me about Autocon and how uh, the organisation or social enterprise um, kind of started. So we're just over 10 years old. Uh, and again, we, we, we started out of um, that personal connection. So our, our founder, uh, based in, in Germany, had a, uh, an autistic son, was concerned, as many parents are, as you know, that their neurodiverse children go through secondary and higher education um, and wasn't, you know, there wasn't really the, the opportunities um, back then. Then. We've we've come a long way in the diversity and inclusion space in you know a relative sh- relatively short period of time. So thinking back ten years, the world was a very different place all round. So this co- this company was born out of you know a father's um, protective instinct almost uh, to give his son a, a chance in in the working environment. He had a background in in technology. And uh, effectively, the, the mini consultancy model was born. So, you know, we've really grown up uh, as, a, as an IT consulting firm with the traditional IT consulting firm model. So we exclusively employ autistic consultants, as you alluded to in, in the intro there. Um, and we, we tend to focus in three main areas. There are slightly different models in various countries in which we operate, but the, the, the kind of prolific UK model is that we tend to focus in all things data related. So data engineering, data analysis, uh, data science, uh, secondly, in cybersecurity, and thirdly, in software engineering and, and, and QA. And I guess the, the, the reason for that is that what we're trying to do is to, to really harness the above average cognitive abilities of our consultants 
and really marry those with the the academic and, and technical abilities to provide what is effectively quite a, a powerful and potent combination. Um, and and we've we've grown successfully over that period using that formula. And now we're in nine countries. Uh, we've got big ambitions. We're still relatively small comparatively, but I guess unofficially we like to say that we're the world's largest employer of diagnosed um, autistic employees, um, which given our size of, of nearly 400 people globally, um, it makes a statement and it makes organisations of a much larger footprint, far bigger than us, It think about their own staff, their own employees, and just how many of those people could be neurodiverse uh, within their own organisations. I think there's a, an overwhelming need for your organisation to support individuals in the IT sector. I know from my experience, you know, being surrounded by incredibly intelligent and proficient, you know, almost exceedingly so individuals in the IT world has just been you know, an incredible learning um, kind of curve for me, but certainly the neurodiversity um, is relatively new in terms of um, the workplace and the understanding that it now has. Okay, so we've, many of us have heard of the term neurodiversity, but what does it actually mean? Um, and I think, Steve, you're incredibly well placed to describe and give my, give the listeners a sense of, of what that means behind the scenes because it, it's kind of an umbrella term it, it is absolutely and it is a great question actually lou because neurodiversity is, is really around it is an umbrella term and it's around the fact that um we're all we're all different we all differ in our neurocognitive ability uh, we all have different strengths and weaknesses but neurodiversity really is focused on the fact that um those differences in some people are maybe more pronounced uh, and actually can be disabling in, in some instances. Uh, so th that's really the umbrella term. Now, underneath that sits um, uh, several uh, several aspects of, of neurodiversity. So dyslexia being one, dyscalculia, dyspraxia, uh, Tourette sits within there as well, but also, um, of course, autism. So... We, we, we tend to sort of refer to it as, um, you know, you can be dyslexic um, and have uh, autism or ADHD, so things like co-occurring conditions, but that's not sort of mandatory. So the neurodiversity angle really is a, uh, the umbrella term, as you say. Autocon have done an amount of research and I gather that autism is your kind of main focus. So why why is that? I guess, you know, the, the, the stats are, are quite humbling, uh, a little bit stark. So and, and this is something that we see across different countries. So whilst it's a UK produced statistic from the National Autistic Society, um, it is fairly, fairly representative. And that is that only around about 20 percent of autistic adults are in full-time employment so that is a little bit stark um, and that number also includes those individuals who may be underemployed I, they're in roles that don't correlate to their their academic uh, background or their technical commercial expertise. In fact, one of our um, consultants who was diagnosed a little bit later on in life uh, actually came to us from a call center and had you know what would be considered a very patchy and and sketchy profile or cv and so 
from our perspective, what we're interested in is, is what those people can do and should be doing, as opposed to you know what what maybe is noted down on the, on their CV because obviously you know with a stat like that with twenty percent there is a big job to do and there's a big gap to close. So there's only twenty percent of autistic adults in employment. So we're dealing with kind of mass of eighty percent of diagnosed and identifying as autistic adults that aren't in employment right now. That's massive. Uh-uh. Exactly. And, you know, to put that into some kind of kind of context, about one in a 100 people um, either self-identify or can be classified as autistic. Um, So in the UK, kind of rough numbers that equals to about 700,000 people in the UK. Now, obviously, when you're thinking about the combined number across North America, Canada, Australia uh, and, and Europe, particularly, that is a, a, a large number, which effectively are an untapped resource um, and are effectively um, disengaged from the workplace for the most part, largely through, dare I say, it, the, the, the misconceptions, the lack of awareness, the lack of education, and also the, the recruitment process in general, which maybe whilst it's changing, and perhaps we'll get to talk about how you know neurodiversity is changing. Um, generally but you know the the recruitment process doesn't doesn't jive well with with those folks with autism I think you know being recruited in in IT uh, roles myself you know they they can be very logical or they can be very creative I remember once being in an interview and uh there's me with you know lots of answers all stacked up and I'm going uh, and I'm being asked to tell the uh, potential employers about myself and I really didn't know where to start you know when you kind of thrown those questions um, and I felt incredibly embarrassed I probably could have walked out at that moment but I guess it's being faced with those not necessarily challenging for everybody but conversations that you're not expecting so how can um you know, what What does Autocon do to support those individuals um, wanting to um, apply for jobs in the IT sector or to, you know, kind of increase their their roles within IT? So I guess, you know, we, we are, you know, an employer of autistic adults. So what we what we do is is what we advise our clients ultimately to do. Um, through our training but I guess fundamentally you know we do use the the CV and the profile just as that that starting point only and then what what we're really interested in as I alluded to is is what that person could and should be doing so there's certain things that we we test for um so you know fundamentally we're in the tech sector and you know we need to try and assess uh, people's programming skills, whether it be Python or Java or, or, or whatever the example may be, so that we can, and there's no right or wrong answer, but it, what it does is to give us the, the baseline of, of what that person um, can do. And then what we also do is we we test for those cognitive skills. So, again, you know, when we're talking about um, uh, IT and, and particularly data science and cybersecurity analysts, you know, what, what we're thinking about is error detection, pattern matching, periods of sustained concentration, logical analysis. And I guess this is where one of the misconceptions may, may creep in, because obviously when you talk about the term autism spectrum, it tends to uh, it tends to 
create a picture in, in, in one's mind of a, uh, a linear scale. So at one end of the spectrum, someone is, is very autistic, and conversely, at the other end, they're not very autistic at all. Now, that is a myth. And in real terms, if you think about um, some of those um, some of those qualities uh, radiating around the the outside of a circle with a scale of zero to ten, and then you plot those scores and join up the dots, you've effectively created a, a bit of a spiky profile, and that's a much more reflective way of thinking about autism because everyone you know there's a common cliche in in, in neurodiversity circles that says if you've met one person with autism then you've met one person with autism and I think that's true about everyone and that's that's kind of the point here but what we do with with those cognitive profiles combined with those technical skills and profiles is to not only understand the, the type of technical element or technical project that that person is best suited to but also the environment you know because we deal with with lots of companies at all different sizes but within those companies we're dealing with big engineering teams or small pockets of innovation-led projects or data science, simulation modelling. So there is no one standard. What are the unwritten rules of that team, that office, that project in terms of pace, velocity, veracity, volume of data? And we're trying to, you know, with our knowledge of, of, of IT and IT projects and the components within, the last thing we want is to put someone who might be technically brilliant but into a role that is maybe too fast-paced or conversely um, has too much repetition attached. So it's about finding that perfect match. And that's not just about technical capability. It's about all of the the softer uh, skills, if you like, the, the emotional intelligence aspect that we kind of bring into that assessment. And finally, what we also do is to, when, as part of our recruitment process, we actually have our job coaches uh, that actually will will have a, a, a quite a, a, a lengthy conversation with that individual. Now, the job coaches have a full time role in Autocon anyway, but particularly within the recruitment process, their skills are vital. Now, they're not technical and they're not project managers, but they all have a background in clinical psychology. So, really, what their their role is. Um, in the process is to, to, to try and assess the support requirements of that individual. So think of it in normal terms as a, as a 360 degree mentor um, so that they understand the backstory of that individual, but they also understand the, I guess, the career aspirations of that individual as well, because obviously like any consulting firm, there is time in between projects, there's bench time, and because the fact, because of the fact that we're a social enterprise and everything we do is driven by a social mission, this this isn't about you know a production line or a sausage factory of, of making sure that we can put autistic consultants into into projects. You know, it's it's much more than that because what we're doing is is setting both our consultant and our client up for success. So yes, there is a commercial advantage to the people that we provide and the outputs and the above average cognitive skills. But it's more than that. This is this is about um, turning that experience into a live case study almost. So you know, think of it of think of it similarly to reading a book to learn to swim. You know, the awareness sessions that we can deliver, the education and training that we can deliver is great. It's not death by PowerPoint. It's it's very interactive and it's thought provoking and it's challenging. But 
it's it, there's nothing quite like jumping in and getting your feet wet, but with your your armbands on and an instructor in the pool. Think of it that way, yeah. so that we actually with the job coaches we they act as a bridge between the consultant and the client, so that this isn't a great big scary thing because one of the biggest blockers that we find and one of the biggest reservations we find is the fear of doing the wrong thing. So it's easier to do nothing at all. Now our yeah. job coaches remove that because in a lead up to an engagement they'll do an awareness session they'll talk about tonality you know the fear of saying the wrong thing and there's always a risk with that and you and I have spoken to this uh, uh, point as well Lou and it, yes. it's 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 really common and i think the, yeah. the other point is that it changes language changes preferences change in terms of the use of language and how people identify to certain aspects um, of neurodiversity as with all things so you know it's about removing some of those myths you know drawing comparisons with with rain man it was a great movie in its time and it it had the effect of creating a huge spike in the number of people that um, went to, uh, to 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 find out if they had a degree of autism or they you know they had a neurodiverse condition so diagnosis numbers went through the roof but actually it's not a representation you know our consultants aren't rain man um, yes so it's it's things like that but it's also getting under the skin of the unwritten rules of the office what we try and do is to remove any unnecessary anxiety so for example in a meeting uh, a meeting or, or call schedule put in a very brief agenda but actually what else is the expectation during that call? So for our consultant, for example, are they expected to listen only, to present where they're at on their, on their project, to challenge, to question, to ideate? These are all things that, given group dynamics and organisational culture, you could be walking into situations which not only cause uh, you know, embarrassment to others, but a huge amount of potential anxiety to that person with yes. autism. So we take all that away. And then you're talking about things like the physical environment. We can do a workplace assessment, but it's it's about the understanding that comes with that because, you know, a lot of folks with autism have hyper or hyposensitivities, things like light or sound or touch. So, you know, in, in the hybrid working environment and hot desking, you know, making a desk available for someone you know, in front of the elevators or a busy traffic thoroughfare or the entrance to the bathrooms or by a great big external facing sunlit window is these are all minor things. But, you know, individually make no difference, put them all together and they are life changing. Yes, I think it's fantastic that you're treating as as you would expect um, individuals as individuals, and actually, you know, there's a there's a huge amount of respect for anyone um, that's related to your organisation that they know they're in safe hands when it comes to being supported. But likewise, as a, a in in the workplace and supporting employers and project managers or whoever. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Steve Hill from Autocon about the advantages of neurodiversity of talented IT professionals in the workplace. So, Steve, I want to kind of come on to the changing view of neurodiversity in the workplace a little bit more. So can you tell me a bit more how you support um, organisations from a training perspective? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, part of that starts with awareness, Lou. And uh, we touched earlier on the fact that, you know, neurodiversity isn't necessarily a new concept, but it may not be, you know, fully understood in all in all areas of uh, the workplace. And so, you know, we, we fundamentally start with that awareness. And, you know, it is about uh, tonality. It is about, you know, the understanding of neurodiversity as an umbrella term and what can sit underneath that. But also, you know, we, we do talk about, you know, things specific to autism, uh, as you might expect, given, given our focus. But it's also, I guess, this is about, um, you know, moving into the education. And it's, uh, you know, from my perspective, it starts with, with culture, because, you know, fundamentally, if, if we can create a culture in a workplace or an where those organisations are looking inward at their own staff and the things that they might need to support those staff, then they're much um, much more likely to have a higher staff retention. They're much more likely ultimately to be able to showcase and tell the outside world what it is they're doing in, in neurodiversity, as they might be doing already in social responsibility and you know green credentials yep. and all these things that we take for granted. Neurodiversity yeah. is no different. I think it has maybe played runner-up to uh, gender and ethnicity but it's getting there and i think we're seeing that with some you know things on mainstream media we've we, we had you know in just the last few months elon musk declaring that he's uh, autistic and uh you know melanie sykes and um christine mcginnis in the bbc show before christmas all these things help to raise that awareness and particularly when you're talking about people that are you know either being diagnosed a little bit later on in life, maybe because of their children. These things have a cumulative effect to, to get neurodiversity on, on the radar, which is obviously very important. So I think from, from us um, and our perspective, you know, education is one thing. You know, I, I don't want to go back to the swimming analogy, but but that's it. You know, it's it's about trying to help not only HR professionals and, and DNI professionals within the organization, but really sleeves rolled up line managers you know certainly in, in organizations that we've both probably either you know worked within or, or seen at a distance you know there is a tendency for large organizations to to maybe promote um staff through adding line management or personal uh management uh to, to their job title not everyone is equipped to do that not everyone's a great yeah. manager a, a people manager by far and so I think that this sort of approach actually makes people better managers because what it does is to encourage those managers to look beyond, you know, the, the, any sort of physical disability or anything like that. This is about empathy. This is about getting to know your staff. This is about, you know, the human interaction and the, the two-way value exchange, you know organizations that are very oppressive and have maybe slightly toxic environments you know it, it's it's not great and people don't tend to, to stay very long arguably yeah. you know the, the culture aspect is very important so that's where we focus you know to to try and create that culture where people feel comfortable to be able to disclose and in parallel, it's about trying to provide the, the tools to, to, to the organisations to better support those individuals, whether, whether it's through job coaching as a service, whether it's through training, and whether it's through maybe some advisory consulting that we can do on top of providing consultants. You know, it, it, it's all... 
it, it's all very specific to that organization because it is a journey the the path to neuroinclusion is a journey arguably it's it's never ending and it is it is one where no one's really got it down to a to a fine art but to people are at different stages of maturity on that journey so the training and the education is sort of part one the consultancy piece is sort of part two so it's putting into practice ideally you know maybe some of the findings and learnings from that training, but really using that consultancy engagement as a flag-waving exercise to de-risk the, the fear and the anxiety of organisations of doing the wrong thing. So what we can do is to show that this has worked. You know, we are a social enterprise, so, you know, we're all about trying to report our social impact, and that's about the number of people that we can, you know, metaphorically touch through our training and through our awareness sessions, but also the, the consequential benefit of having a consultant as part of a project, um, not just the commercial benefit of, the, of someone that's super smart and can do a great job, but also the, the consequential benefit that we see anecdotally within that team through clear, unambiguous communication, by having agendas in meetings, through thinking about presenting things in a clear manner, but also from our consultant's perspective, because, you know, and again, not, not to generalise here, but we, we see, you know, the flip side of some of these um these cognitive skills being maybe uh, open, honest, direct, arguably blunt in some instances, communication. Office yeah. politics goes out the window. If you ask a question, yeah. you're going to get a very honest, transparent answer, which again is is arguably somewhat refreshing because, yeah. you know, companies don't need an army of people just saying yes to the most senior person around the table. You know, to yeah. drive change, to create innovation, you need you know, fast, honest, impartial communication, which is, is what you get. So we're taking all of that as a recipe and actually using it to show the rest of the organisation that it isn't big and scary. And actually with a little bit of handholding, a little bit of help um, and, and maybe some tweaks in your process, you could effectively fly solo, take the armbands off, the instructor jumps out of the pool and you're, you're, you're there swimming by yourself. Now, yes. there's a there's a, a gap to close there in terms of processes, you know, yeah. so we can look at job descriptions to make them more inclusive. You know, so for example, if, you know, an autistic person sees a job description for a, uh, you know, a data engineer, a data analyst that requires maybe five years of Python experience. Now, if that individual has got four years, 11 months and 29 days experience, that could act as a blocker. It seems a silly example, but it, it actually is true. So yeah. we look at that process and on how the organisation should be looking to attract the neurodiverse talent. And they can only do that by by saying what what's within the organisation, you know, how they tackle it with their existing employees. Coming back to the example of green credentials, for example, mm. you know, it's, it's that type of... Um, that type of approach. And it doesn't yeah. mean that the organisation organization has got it right and that there isn't a way to go, but it's just acknowledging that they're on this journey, which is the most important thing. I can see so many benefits for an organisation engaging with your training that actually it upskills and empowers not just um, neurodiverse um, employees, but everybody in general. So line managers, as well as other prospective um, employees, you know, it becomes a really incredible selling point for the organisation. 
Exactly. It's a it's a very powerful tool, um, ultimately. And I think, you know, if even if we take the the approach and the example actually of, of interviews, as I alluded to earlier, Lou, you know, we don't use interviews, we use a series of chats. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that when they're yes. applying for a role? You know, so that ultimately you come out of that process, you know, not having to perform in a shop window environment to sell maybe some of the things you have done or embellished during your career. Um, There is no correlation between how good someone can articulate in an interview and the the role that they can perform, particularly in technical roles, as we know. So why, why use a process that fundamentally isn't fit for purpose? You know, it, it, and it's that basic approach that a common yeah. sense approach that we use. But obviously, you know, organizations and you know, HR processes and practices just just aren't necessarily geared up for it. So there's a bit of tweaking that can happen. Yeah. But the results are phenomenal. Can you just remind the listeners, um, the IT sectors that you're kind of currently supporting? You mentioned data science, cybersecurity. Um, what other kind of key areas do, does Autocon support? So data science, and, and as you and all your listeners will be aware, there is a global shortage of of many roles that kind of sit within the uh, the, the data area. Um, so we've really start at the data, the bottom of the data maturity curve. So we can do a lot of data wrangling, data munging, and arguably those are tasks which um, can be quite repetitive. But actually, you know, some of our consultants thrive in that environment, and it might be an area where you know organisations struggle to find those skills fundamentally. Um, and then really, we're talking about data visualization, augmentation, simulation modeling, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So we have consultants that are really experienced at different levels or different points on that data maturity curve. And then if we think about cybersecurity and cybersecurity um, anomaly detection as as an example, a lot of a lot of the role or a lot of the aspects of that role correlate with you know aspects of, of data science and data analysis. And so again, the cognitive skills are really aligned to those particular areas. And then we've got the, the third pillar for us, which is software design and engineering. Um, and, and QA. So that's a, a real sweet spot for us. And that I, arguably, that's where we've grown up from. But obviously, as we've seen the proliferation of, of data over the past three, four, five years, particularly, that's where we've found a, a, a real sweet spot. Yes. And how can individuals or organisations um, get in touch with Autocon? What's the best way to connect? So the best way is is through email. By all means, email me directly, steve.hill at autocon.co.uk. Uh, our website is autocon.com. You'll be directed to um, any number of uh, global um, websites for our different country representation. But even if it's just to have a conversation about where to start, you know, we're not about hard sell training or consultancy this is bigger than that this is about trying to change things ultimately for the better for our consultants for people getting them into work for organizations and to make to create that kind of um that contribution to society you know when we have those sort of numbers of of people wanting to be into work uh, but aren't you know they're not necessarily financially contributing to to society and they want to be doing so so 
we're we're a, we're not a sales heavy driven organization by any means you know we're here to support organizations of all sizes in all sectors uh, on their journey to neuro inclusion fabulous i think you know it's outstanding the work that you uh, are doing um to support individuals um with neurodiversity specifically autism in the it sector i mean i've come across so many exceptionally talented it individuals and uh, you know just to know that they are being supported within roles in in the workplace you know is is a really good thing to hear so what's next for Auticon? Uh, where's it going next? Because it sounds like you've achieved some amazing goals. You've done some amazing research. But what's next? So we are modest in size, as I alluded to earlier. But that doesn't mean we don't have um, you know, huge ambitions for growth. I mean, as we sort of touched on, you know, there is a, a big gap to fill. And I think, you know, for us, we're looking at, we're really looking at geographical expansion. So, you know, particularly for us, we've got several offices in, in the US, but there's a, a big geographical territory there to expand into. There are certain countries and regions that we, we want to cover as well. So Spain is next on our, our kind of radar, but also the Asia Pacific region as well. Ultimately, though, Lou, we want to be the first social enterprise to go public. Um, and whether we do go public or whether we don't go public, that kind of isn't isn't the point. You know, we, we'd like to get there and obviously the investment that that brings would, would put us into a whole new category. And we could touch, you know, metaphorically speaking, more people and, and you know, further our social mission. But I think it's it's about what we strive and how ambitious we are to be able to really reflect on that social mission and to, to really spread the word around neurodiversity and debunk myths and and really evangelise as to the untapped pool of talent that, that's out there. Yes, agree. You know, like we said at the beginning of the episode, you know, 80% of diagnosed um, autistic individuals, even in the UK, um, are unemployed. So it's how how you we as a as a nation get those people back within the workplace, within a, an environment that suits both them and their employer. So I gather Autocon has its own podcast. Tell us a bit about that. You're, you're absolutely right, Luke. So it's called Autism in Conversation with Autocon. It's uh, hosted by Carrie Grant, MBE, who you may remember from uh, Fame Academy and uh, occasional presenter on The One Show. But the, the relevance is that Carrie actually has four neurodiverse children of her own. So her and her husband, David Grant, they run a parent support group. Um, and so they are in really in the in the muck and bullets, arguably, of of, of the world of neurodiversity uh, and obviously have vast lived experience themselves but this isn't a sales tool for Autocon this is about us trying to provide value when we were trying to you know, uh, you know looking at how we might be able to spread out our message a little bit more by appearing on other podcasts there wasn't anything out there that actually brought together the the, the, the two parts of autism and the workplace and so that's clearly what we do every day but this is about bringing together lived experiences so you know the format is such that we we tend to have 
representation from from businesses, some of which are our clients, some of which aren't. You know, we have people from various different backgrounds. Uh, in our latest um, series, which is going to be released very shortly, we have Anne Hegarty from The Chase. And these are all about, you know, this is about people's origin stories. We we had Willard Wigan, who I don't know if you're familiar with, but yes. Willard uh, Wigan, MBE, is a micro-sculptor. He sells his artwork, which is all contained within the eye of a needle and is, you know, uh, up to sort of five 0.5 microns in size. I mean, it just blows your mind. But he doesn't read and doesn't write. But his origin story and the way he articulates that is like nothing I've ever heard before. And so for us, we're imagining, you know, a parent of an autistic child driving along, listening to our podcast and hopefully gaining some kind of insight, value, or comfort and reassurance from hearing different stories. Um, And hopefully our role is just as facilitator to bring some of these stories together. Yes, I think, you know, being able to relate to stories is ultimately, you know, a lifelong, you know, universe long concept. And actually people gain so much from listening to a story or a snippet of something that they can resonate with uh, rather than being kind of factual discussion. It's about that individual's journey that they can then relate to somebody else and then get some support on the back of that in in employment uh, and within organisations. So I think, you know, it's outstanding the work that you're doing. And if any of my listeners want to go and have a listen to that podcast, it's called Autism in Conversation with Autocon. Um, Go and have a listen and uh, hopefully, you know, there's some, some good that comes from all of this. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Steve Hill of Autocon about the advantages of neurodiversity of talented IT professionals in the workplace. Now, Steve, we haven't really delved into your career and the activities that you're doing, but I do gather that you have published a range of audio books for children. So tell me more. Uh, it was a surprise to be asked about this, actually, Lou. But um, yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I know it piqued your interest when we were, were talking kind of offline, as it were. But um, so, yes, and, and actually, there is a, a, a real strong parallel um, as, as to how this whole project came about. And it links, actually, to, to how I got to know of Auticon in the first place, because um, my my youngest son is dyslexic. When he was a lot younger, he was you know he, he struggled with with reading and writing, and we got got him some help as, as as you might expect. But it was it was what I saw from the sidelines as the um, the anxiety that was created. I you know reading in class you know around that sort of time the the, the kind of confront or confidence debilitation that resulted from that so in an effort to try and you know get over that bit it was just really a, a, an idea to come up with stories you know we were basing these characters on family members and it was just a way to i guess um de-stigmatize de- the, the the nervousness around reading and stories and, and things like that because he just didn't enjoy reading books so we, we come up with these stories he got involved in plots and and you know names of characters and all that kind of stuff so i thought well the the last thing i want to do is to stop this has been quite valuable and so we thought well how can we do this so we ended up turning it into uh some some audiobooks fast forward a few years he's he's, he's quite a lot older now but 
um, we actually created, we've created so far two long form audio books. So about two and a quarter hours each, uh, a series of uh, short stories, which introduce each of the characters, which are going to be available free uh, when they're out very soon. Um, but they're all narrated by Gemma Whelan, who you may or may not know, but she was Yara Greyjoy in uh, Game of Thrones. She's been in The Crown. She's been in ITV Dramas. She's got two young children of her own. And, and she brings that kind of skill and talent to be able to bring those characters to life. And so the, the kind of idea of this is that we actually help inspire kids to pursue their authentic ambition. You know, I think the education system as it is, um, it doesn't, it, well, it, it predicates success on first exam success and then ultimately, yeah. you know, society predicates success on financial success or status in the workplace. And fundamentally, you know, that is not something that I believe to be the right the right thing to do. You know, we have to operate within the kind of guide rails that, you know, are already there. But I think ultimately what we want is for kids to be able to try things, to find the thing that they most enjoy doing. And in order to do that, they need the encouragement of their parents. You know, so if they want to be uh, an artist or a ballerina or they want to be in the fire brigade or whatever the example is, it's okay. You know, what we're trying to do is to create happy and successful individuals based on happiness, not through, you know, financial status. And so it really starts with, with, with parents, but actually, you know, on this, on this journey um, and being ever increasingly aware of dyslexia and and, and everything that goes with it is how I got to know of uh, Orticon because obviously Richard Branson is famously dyslexic and he's one of Orticon's primary investors. So it's just a really nice sort of story in many ways that all paths in in what could be considered a bit of an off-piece career in my my own case, but all paths ultimately led me to Orticon uh, through effectively different parts of a, a lived experience. I think it's, um, you know, incredibly honourable for you to be producing these uh, audio children's books because it really does tie all of this together, you know, that there's a purpose and a mission and at the beginning, you know, your own lived experience with your son, but actually supporting, you know, parents and children and then, you know, the the success that they experience as potentially IT professionals and kind of normalising, um, you know, diver- neurodiversity in the world as well. So it, whilst this is kind of late in the episode, I think it's incredibly worthwhile um, and, you know, highlighting your success as well, Steve, which uh, shouldn't go unnoticed. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's very kind of you to say, Lou. But um, for anyone that is interested, um, feel free to check out JennyMenny.com. Fabulous. Well, Steve, thank you very much for this episode. I have a feeling that we'll we'll be back doing another episode at some point, um, kind of delving into the, the tech world and uh, neurodiversity again at some point. But um, I just want to thank you for your time now and, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure, Lee. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have recording it. I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. And in the meantime, I'd love you to rate, review and download this episode. Thanks again for listening.